powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Better Than Before, the CEO Leaders Podcast Show. We have one clear objective to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before in business and in life. I'm Tony Richards, your host. And so today, uh, this is a common question that I get asked that I thought I'd address here at the top of the program. And that is, what are the most common behavioral situations that I see that hold executive teams back? The most common behavioral situation with any executive, and then also uh, because a group of executives make up the executive team, but the most common behavioral one that I see is blind spots. And that's usually most people's issue is something they're not aware of or something they don't see that is in their behavioral performance that is either hindering their growth or causing them issues. And coming up a little bit later on the program, I'm going to give you five of these pesky blind spots that leaders suffer from. And not only that, I'm not just going to diagnose you as ill and sick. I'm also going to prescribe a cure. So uh, I'm going to give five blind spots and some ways you can eliminate those. So blind spots are number one. So a blind spot that's derailing or holding back a team member or the whole team. Number two would be a talent or a strength that could be increased by adding a specific behavior or by modifying a specific behavior. So you have a a talented executive uh, or a, a talented executive with a specific strength that just because a specific behavior Uh, might be holding them back a little bit and they need to modify that behavior or they need to start doing something. So it's usually one of three things. It's something they need to stop doing, something they need to keep doing, or something that they need to start doing. Uh, Number three is the team or specific members need a leadership SWOT analysis and a tune-up, adding something for huge impact or eliminating something that's creating a constraint. And then number four, most common behavioral situation that I encounter with executive teams as a coach, that sometimes it's a specific skill that has not been developed uh, in the promotion process. In other words, they've been promoted beyond their competence. They didn't really pick up a specific skill that they should have picked up as they got elevated through the organization. And now they're at this very high level place and they don't have the skill they need. So those are four. What are some of the benefits then? So if you were to get an executive coach like me, for example, uh, or you were to hire one of your preference, what are some of the benefits from uh, working on these four situations that I talked about. Well, the number one benefit is your career can move forward and you don't get stuck or you don't get stalled. Number two is uh, the perception throughout your organization gets better. And it's achieved with me 
as your coach or with a coach giving you ongoing feedback and advice. So the reason you have a blind spot is you don't have a complete 360 view of yourself. And that is one thing a coach can do is provide you with good uh, visibility in areas you can't pick up on or see. Number three benefit is specific leadership competencies or business competencies improve and you get better results. And number four benefit is your confidence gets bigger. Anytime you make a skill improvement or you make a um, behavioral improvement, your confidence goes up as well. Confidence is a byproduct of predictability. So if you know you're getting better and you can see the results are happening, your confidence then begins to elevate and skyrocket. So those are four really strong benefits. Your career moves forward. You don't get stuck. Perception throughout your organization gets better about you as a leader because you're getting ongoing feedback and advice. Specific leadership and business competencies get better. Therefore, you get better results. And you get increased confidence in yourself. Something I call the confidence cycle begins to take place. And through uh, improved demonstrated performance, you build your confidence, you get better, and then everything gets better, right? Everything gets better when you get better. So coming up, I'm going to share seven reasons leaders fail. And I'll be doing that in just a couple of minutes. All coming up here today on Better Than Before, brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Because adventure still needs chasing. We gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love, it's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant, it doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and at the top of the program today, I talked about some common behavioral situations that I encounter as a coach with executive teams. And the number one behavioral situation I gave had to do with blind spots, where blind spot is holding or derailing a team member, or it may be the entire team that's being stalled or derailed by blind spot. And so here in this part of the show, I thought I'd give you five common behavioral blind spots that I see or have seen in executives uh, or in executive teams. Here's number one, 
avoiding tough decisions. When the tough decision comes up, the executive wants to avoid it or shove it off or delay or procrastinate in making the tough call. So there are only, you know, three or four things you can do with this as a coach. Here's what I try to do when I'm with an executive that's having trouble making a tough decision or continues to delay action. So the number one thing I try to do with them when I'm coaching them is I try to tell them, get as much information as you can. That way you're going to feel good and have some confidence about your final decision. And the most difficult decisions always have to do with people, you know, when people are involved. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, depending on the relationship that you have with the person and so on and so forth. But you're going to have to make the decision and do not get trapped into thinking you don't have enough information and thinking that if you just wait a little while longer, you'll get more info. Or maybe if you wait a little longer that this situation will just dissipate or go away or get better on its own. And, you know, you're never going to know everything you could possibly know before you make the decision. So you have to be comfortable in that you know, I know what I need to know and I just need to get on with deciding what to do here. And once you've made the decision, you need to communicate that if if it's appropriate. Communicate your decision with your team as necessary. Uh, some people decisions, you probably don't need to communicate all of it uh, because you may be violating some employment law when you do that or or something. But At least as much as you can, try to help everybody understand. And chances are, most of the time, the team already suspects and knows that uh, something should have been done quite a while ago. And most of the time, they're trying to figure out why you haven't taken action. So that's not as big a deal as you possibly think it is. And finally, once you've made the decision, move on, get past it. Uh, get on the road to moving forward, get on with being productive and, and put it all behind you. I mean, that's really, really important. I mean, leaders don't always waste a lot of time on the front end. Sometimes they waste a lot of time on the back end after it's over. And when it's over, it's over. Move on. You know, managers typically don't deal with tough decisions the right way. And employees have seen that a lot. So their expectations on their superiors making tough decisions is really low. So uh, how you deal with a tough decision is going to make or break your team's confidence in your leadership. So that this is a really, really important thing to deal with. And uh, when you make these decisions, it's going to free up your mind for other things. You can be more productive, and ultimately, that's going to make your team more productive as well. So avoiding tough decisions, we need to work on that, fix that behavior, and move on. Number two behavioral blind spot that I see with clients uh, is that they become overly critical. Uh, Being overly critical of yourself dramatically affects your self-confidence and uh, causes you to think poorly of yourself, and it clouds and colors the world around you in a bad way. When you're overly critical, it manipulates your thoughts, and your thoughts become more cynical 
and sarcastic and in the long run that prevents you from enjoying the things that should be making you happy you become you begin to not be able to enjoy life and work in the way that you really should because you've got this very critical voice in your head uh, criticizing everything and being overly critical about every situation that comes down the pike here are some signs that I look for in an executive or a leader who may be uh, becoming more, more overly critical than they should be. They second guess themselves. They second guess other people. They pick themselves apart. They pick other people apart on every little thing. Uh, they don't enjoy much of anything. They're uh, never quite satisfied with anything. Nothing's quite good enough for them. Uh, they have a very difficult time taking compliments. Um, they're irritated a lot with just about anything you can imagine, and they complain a lot. And so uh, they're kind of like the the kid on the Charlie Brown cart, the Peanuts cartoon. The Charlie Brown ca cartoon has the dark dust cloud following them around all the time, except the dust clouds in their head, right? It's it's dirtying up and clouding up their thinking. And everything is just not good. Now, so, some ways that you can work on this and, and coach this and try to fix this is lighten up. You know, just lighten up. Give yourself a break. Give other people a little break. And once you start to lighten up a little bit, you reinforce those positive behaviors. If you focus on the good behavior you want to reinforce, not the bad behavior you want to eliminate, that breaks the cycle, right? So you can't stop being critical. At the same time, you have to start doing something else. And it's, it's better to start doing the good than focusing on stopping the bad. So notice the good in your family. Notice the good in the people around you. Notice the good things that happen. Make a list of some good things that happen. And this is a tough one to break with people too. I mean, I have to really bear down as a coach to really, you know, I'm, I may have to sit down with the client and say, all right, we're going to list three to five really good things that happened to you today. Uh, or what are three, three or four things that are really good about being alive and going to work today? What is one or two things that you could really look forward to today? And so you, you really have to keep injecting those positive, good, gratitude-oriented thoughts into their head because the longer they've been doing it, the longer they've been overly critical, the more difficult it is to break that habit. And I don't know if you've ever seen that show uh, Seinfeld where George did the opposite so every time he went to go to, to do a situation he did the opposite of what he would normally do and he got great results that is what your guidelines should be when you're overly critical when you start to be critical do the opposite right be complimentary or be appreciative and uh, do an act of kindness so choose a positive interaction instead of a negative one Number three blind spot in executives that I see or coach does not hold people accountable. So accountability is huge. It is, uh, I have come to believe it is one of the most critical ingredients for success in an organization. If there is no expectation of accountability and that isn't clear and communicated and followed through on, that organization is nowhere near producing the kind of results that it could. So 
when you're having trouble holding people accountable, here's some things. If, if I were your coach that I would talk to you about doing, I would talk to you about setting up follow-up times and appointments. So if you have people that you want to enforce accountability with, set up your times that you're going to follow up with each other for status updates and those appointments. Make sure you show up and follow up and you're engaged. Don't cancel them. Don't get too busy. Don't uh, push them off for something else you think is more important. Just follow up on the check-in when you agree to with your person. Then you need to be consistent. If you're going to follow up weekly, follow up weekly. If you're going to follow up every two weeks, follow up every two weeks. If it's a monthly check-in, do it monthly. Whatever you agree to, be consistent. Don't short-circuit it and change it at the last minute. You have to get the rhythm and flow down. And um, once you set the timing and the frequency of the follow-up, make sure you do that. Don't follow up one time and then they don't hear from you for three months and then so on and so forth. Set the timing, the frequency, and do it. Ask about actions and results. So I know the big thing in business today is results. Like listen to this example. If a salesperson makes lots of sales calls and works hard, that's a behavioral action and it needs to be recognized. If they're not selling, and they're, then they failed on results. Some leaders have a hard time distinguishing between actions and results and the accountabilities of each. You need to hold people accountable for both because there is a sequence of events that need to be acted upon that are best practices to get the result. So you need to make sure you're holding people accountable for those sequences and events and those actions and also the results that they produce. Another little piece of advice I'd give you is don't move your standards around. You're going to get what you expect to get. And if your expectations are low, you're going to get low. If your expectations are high, you're going to get high. So uh, be sure to let them know what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and act accordingly. If you have to apologize, I suppose that's okay. I often wonder why the leader is apologizing uh, for the lack of results, but if you have to say something like, I'm sorry, but this is not acceptable, then that's what you have to say, right? So act accordingly. Don't move your standards around. Make sure they're very clear and have been communicated and understood and authenticated that that is what your expectations are. And then have some kind of formal system for coaching results. Be sure to be on the same page with your HR department, but uh, make sure the steps to reward and the steps to punishment are recognized and communicated. So they know which way they're headed. They know when they're headed in the direction of success and they know when they're headed in the direction of failure. When you have to let somebody go, it should not be a surprise. They should know what direction they're heading at all times and in every interaction with you on accountability. Number four, this is a hard one, uh, but some executives, and this a lot of times is in their blind spot, believe it or not, but they have anger issues. Anger issues. How do you deal with anger? Well, uh, this, is, this is in the wheelhouse of EQ, emotional intelligence. And so if you get better from an EQ standpoint, that will enable you to start taking a few moments to collect your thoughts. You'll learn to self-regulate before you say anything. 
and it will allow the situation to then regulate with you. So the situation is going to respond or react to the way that you're doing it, right? You're going to be in, in the impact zone of that situation. So if you're out of control, the situation is going to be out of control. If you're in control, the situation is going to be in control. So if you self-regulate yourself to take a few moments to collect your thoughts and you don't fly off the handle, the situation will regulate itself to that. And once you've stabilized both yourself and the situation and your thinking is clear, then you can express your frustration in an assertive but non-confrontational way. You can tell them your concerns. You can tell them what your needs are very clearly and directly without hurting their feelings and without it sounding like you're trying to control them. You see, anger is something that we use to try to gain control. When we feel like things are out of control, we get angry. And anger is the tactic that we use to try to regain control of the situation. So if you will self-regulate yourself to be in control, anger won't be needed, right? If you regulate yourself to be in control, anger won't be needed. And if you're telling yourself, I don't know, I just have to be angry, then you're lying to yourself. You don't have to do anything. You choose to be angry and you also choose not to be. So let's keep it in perspective. I often recognize if you're having anger issues, you may not be exercising enough because physical activity can help reduce that stress you're feeling. It can help uh, bring that anger down. Uh, that stress can be causing that anger, that frustration that you're not in control like you'd like to be. And if you feel your anger going up and escalating, maybe you need to go for an exercise or maybe you need to walk around the building. Or maybe you need to spend some time doing something else that you enjoy that's physical, right? And if you give yourself a few short breaks during the times of the day that tend to bother you or aggravate you or make you stressful, then a few minutes of quiet time might help you. It might get you better prepared to handle what's coming up. Never go into a meeting that's neutral when you're angry. You're the catalyst. If you take your anger into that meeting, what do you think is going to happen to the meeting? The meeting is going to go toward the distasteful, anger, bad meeting side. If you go into the meeting neutral, the meeting will stay neutral. If you go into the meeting happy, the meeting will tend to go toward a better place, right? So if you walk into every meeting thinking the meeting's neutral, then check yourself about, you know, what are you going to be as the catalyst for that meeting? And number five, oh, this is... This is one I've saved the best for last here. But number five blind spot for a lot of leaders is they want to be everybody's buddy and friend. And as human beings, we have social needs. We need close, supportive connections with other people. Um, unfortunately, that is not what drives a boss-subordinate relationship. The boss-subordinate relationship exists to accomplish work. If something prevents a direct report from doing their job, then that relationship goes into a rocky status. And if the direct report continues not to perform, chances are the relationship will come to an end. 
And most people, when they think about relationships ending, become very sad because relationship is equal to friendship. But it can't be that in the boss-subordinate relationship, right? Bosses and direct reports are not equal inside the organization. And friendships cannot survive status inequality. So very few people are friends with other people that don't share their same status. Birds of a feather flock together, you know. And inside an organization, those statuses are wide and varied. And many times a friendship can really suffer from that status inequality. Friends don't actively evaluate and try to change each other. You know, you don't get together for a poker game, have a few cigars, and critique each other. That's That, that doesn't happen most times unless you're going to different parties than I go to. They don't make their friendship contingent on change and, and improvement. You know, you don't sit down with your friend and say, listen, you're going to have to improve in some ways or we're going to have to part ways. You know, you don't, you don't do that, right? But if you're going to be an effective leader, that's what you do constantly. You're constantly assessing people's performance. You're constantly assessing their abilities. And you're pressing them in a good way to grow and change. And that creates pain. That's why we call it growing pain, right? And uh, most people's friendship cannot endure pain uh, between each other. Uh, Here's another thing. Friends are not always checking up on each other. You know, you don't have to tell your friend where you are and what you're doing but your boss that's a different story Uh, managers press their people to give progress reports they press them to evaluate themselves they press them for commitments to future results Uh, friends have expectations of each other but they're usually the same and mutual and they're not very demanding most of the time right what should the boss and subordinate relationship be then well very few people take the time to define it but i'm i'm going to try to define it for you today on today's show the boss subordinate relationship should never lose sight of one simple fact it exists to accomplish work and generate results it is a means to an end You and your people need to connect as human beings, but always, in the end, the focus has to be on the work. And of course you need to be friendly. Nobody wants to work for a cold, distant, uncaring jerk. But ultimately, not friends in the true sense of the word friends. It has to be supervisor and supervised. That is the relationship that is focused on the work, and the results that the work produces. That is what the relationship basis needs to be about. So quickly recapping these blind spots, and maybe you heard some for yourself uh, today, but here are five behavioral blind spots I see in people, leaders, executives, as an executive coach. I deal with these issues every single week, I promise you. Number one, avoiding tough decisions. Number two, being overly critical. Number three, doesn't hold people accountable. Number four, anger issues. And number five, wants to be everybody's friend. I hope some of that can help you. I will have a leadership lesson for you coming up next on Better Than Before. 
Because adventure still needs chasing, we gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love, it's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Leadership lesson today, seven reasons leaders fail. And if you don't consider yourself a leader, first of all, you're wrong. You can also say this is just reasons people fail in general. You can identify people headed toward failure when you see any of these that are present. Let's start out. Number one reason why leaders fail, lack of preparation. Primary reason people fail in business and in life is because they don't prepare. They're poorly educated. They're poorly prepared. And when I say poorly educated, I don't mean formally. I don't mean because you didn't go to college. I don't mean because you only went to the seventh grade or something like that. I'm talking about educating yourself and training yourself and preparing yourself. And they fail because they don't have the skills or their experience or maybe inadequate financing. Um, you know, you can even trace the inadequate financing back to lack of preparation because you didn't do a very good job preparing yourself in your business or in your position with budgeting and with uh, figuring out your cash flow and those kinds of things. So you didn't get the proper financing because you didn't do the prep work. Adequate preparation does not require formalities or a long apprenticeship, but it does require complete awareness and ability to perform the skills required. How you prepare can vary from attending school to swinging a bat a thousand times to shooting 5,000 free throws. There's all kinds of ways to prepare. If you practice daily, your chances of hitting a home run increase dramatically over those of the batter who rarely swings a bat. Preparation dramatically increases your chances of achievement, excellence, and getting ahead in your business, your career, and in life. If you shortcut preparation, you're going to have a very good chance of striking out. Preparation is the most important component of success because if you don't prepare, you shouldn't even be in the game. Number two reason why leaders fail is lack of focus. Lack of focus on their life, lack of focus on their goals, lack of focus on their career, lack of focus on the key elements they need to succeed. Achievers establish goal-oriented activities and attitudes and their thought processes are directed consistently toward that well-defined goal. The goal itself is not as important as the daily progress toward achieving it. That's going to require some focus. Now, one thing that a lot of people do not talk about much 
is sometimes you can over-focus. You get too focused in and you get something called target fixation. And you can't take your eyes off of the thing you're focusing on and you lose all your objectivity about the subject or about the thing you're talking about because you're over-focused. You have this huge myopic view. You have a huge blind spot because you're over-focused. You need to take three steps back and take out the wide lens and look at. And don't forget my focus principle that I teach all the time. What you focus on always gets bigger because you're giving energy to it and anything you feed energy to is going to be vibrant and alive and big. If you just had a disagreement with your significant other and you keep rolling that agreement over and over in your head, or if you keep arguing, you keep supplying energy to that argument and you keep supplying energy to that thought process, that argument's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and noisier and noisier. And you have to remove the energy from it if you want it to die. And when you remove focus from things, you're essentially taking energy away from it. And when you take energy away from a fire, you stop putting logs and you stop putting wood on it, the fire goes out. You have to determine the right amount of focus, the right amount of energy that needs to be put toward the thing and apply it uh, as needed. And I really believe that your destiny requires diligence. If you want the best plan and results and destination for your life, your career, and your business, it's going to require some diligent focus. Going along with that, reason number three why leaders and people fail is a lack of discipline. Also could be called a lack of commitment. When you would rather be doing something instead of what you should be doing, it takes discipline to stay focused and work hard. If, if you'd rather be out playing golf instead of putting focus and diligence around that significant key item that you know needs your attention and you go play golf, you lack discipline. If you stay and you stay focused on that key issue and you are diligent about executing it, then you've got some discipline. One time somebody said to me, to be successful, you got to do the things you don't want to do. And I would tack on the end of that. What I always say is you need to do the things you don't want to do if you want to be what you always thought you could be. And that's going to take some discipline and commitment, but you will eventually pass and get ahead. A successful person has non-negotiables that they will not fall below those non-negotiables and it keeps their diligence it keeps their discipline, and it keeps them winning. Number four reason why leaders fail is a lack of execution. Winston Churchill said that plans are basically worthless, but planning is invaluable. And I would agree with that. Planning is invaluable, but at some point along the line, you've got to execute what you planned. Long-range planning and analysis are vital parts of business life. You've probably known individuals who never get past planning and analysis. Analysis by paralysis, some people call it. These people fail because they put all their efforts into preparing for work and precious little energy devoted toward actually doing the work. Stephen Pressfield said he knew he had become a professional writer when he quit thinking about the work and started doing the work. A case in point I could bring up is that many professional students at colleges and universities who maybe never plan to work, they're just going to be a student their whole life. 
Same type of individual exists in business. I can tell you that for sure. Some individuals are very adept at developing, designing, creating, or studying problems and opportunities, and they never execute what they've developed. They're professional planners. Failures always have another project or another new idea that comes along that allows them to shelve their most recently planned idea or program. These kinds of people would be great on committees who study a need to death and eventually fail or else move on to some other idea that needs studying or some other topic that needs discussion, but they never really execute. So you've got to decide that I am going to be someone who executes on my great ideas, on my great plans. I'm going to have the diligence and execution to cause them to come to fruition. Number five reason why leaders fail is a lack of tenacity. Failure also results from poor follow through and a lack of tenacity. Unless you're a genius and I don't qualify, you probably won't achieve your objective the first time. It usually takes six sales attempts to bring a new customer on board. And a lot of us give up after we've gotten one or two no's. Unfortunately, most salespeople stop after the third rejection. Failure results from giving up before you get to your objective. Many businesses fail, as I mentioned before, due to undercapitalization. Money isn't the only culprit. Equally important is the inability of the company leader to hang in there and to be resilient. If you want to achieve, you better develop your staying power because... Life, business, careers are kind of tough sometimes, and you're going to get knocked down. There's the famous Chinese proverb of get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Reason six why leaders fail. A lack of willingness to handle all aspects of their responsibility. Sometimes people don't want to handle certain areas that come under their area. They don't want to get down and dirty. They don't want to get down in the details. Some leaders consider going on sales calls to be beneath them. Some leaders consider accounting beneath them, understanding the numbers. If you had an event somewhere, some leaders consider setting up chairs or helping at concession beneath them. Sometimes somebody might need help setting up the sound system for an event. Some leaders believe because they're a speaker, that's beneath them. So these unfortunate individuals have elevated themselves to ivory tower status. And they've gotten to the point where they're above performing all the tasks necessary toward achieving their goal. But I'm going to tell you the best way to know what's going on in your business is to visit with all those people that do all those things. Sometimes they're customer-centric, sometimes they're business-centric, and they're all kinds of aspects of the business that fall in your area of accountability and responsibility, and you better not get too far away from any of them. And you better put your uh, work clothes on and get in and grab a shovel and get ready to help because that's the best way to learn, stay involved, and show your people they care. Number seven. Reason why leaders fail is, and this is so unfortunate and so sad, but it's a lack of character. And I'll tell you something else that I've learned watching this over the years. I have worked with a lot of folks that when it really came down to it, they lacked character. 
I gave a guy a contract once and a big signing bonus. That was a mistake on my part because I gave him the bonus. He never signed the contract. And one day he walked in with two of his colleagues and they all stood in front of my desk and announced that they quit and that they were going to start competition. Lack of character. You probably met people like that along your path. You've probably known people who constantly find fault with other people, but they're incapable of recognizing their own faults and deficiencies. People who do little as possible, yet they want to take all the credit. You've listened to people whose ambition is so intense, they habitually talk long, they talk loud, they talk negatively about their peers in an effort to make themselves look better. The forest is also populated by deceitful individuals who believe they can harvest rewards before they sow the seeds of service. Those who lack character avoid the basic fabric of individuals who are honest and have integrity. A leader who demonstrates uncompromising character over the long term and integrity and moral strength These things generate an environment where people want to be on your team. They want you to be the leader. People want a strong, clear direction. People want somebody who's going to follow up and follow through. People want folks who are not going to tell you something that they'd have no intention of doing. I remember I used to freak people out at the church I was attending. They would come up to me and they'd say, Tony, are you going to be at the picnic on Sunday? And I'd say, no, not going to be there. And you could tell that it surprised them because they were so used and accustomed to people saying, well, we're going to try. Well, we're going to do what we can. You know, we're awful busy. We might come. And in their mind, they knew right then they weren't going. But for whatever reason, they just didn't have the character to say, no, I'm not going to be there. Don't look for me. If you don't have any intention going to the picnic, why don't you just say so instead of leading people to believe there is a chance you might show up? People do not want to wonder if their leader is taking unprofessional, illegal, or unethical actions. Then the other thing that I've learned is this lack of character always catches up to the people who do things based on a lack of character. In the short term, it looks like they're winning It looks like they're successful. It looks like they're moving forward. But in the end, the universe has the propensity to self-correct and put everything in its place as it should be. That's our program today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and also at ClearVisionDEV. Come on over and join our free Facebook group. It's Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach. No fee involved. All you have to do is like the page and you're in our free Facebook community. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. Tony Richards.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.